Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find today's tennis discussions. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey, and our mentors, they just might provide that roadmap for your journey. For the last five-plus years, I've been blessed, excuse me, blessed to be talking with mentors who have paved the pathway for many tennis players and coaches. Who are these mentors that you've been listening to on our broad Thursday broadcast? Well, you've been at least once a month. You've either heard Coach uh, Chuck Reese or Dr. Alan Fox, and the Almighty Willen. You will be listening to other mentors sharing their knowledge on Thursday's broadcast. People like Coach Ashley Hobson, who you will listen to uh, next week. He will be our mentor. Uh, Coach Bobby Palis, Dr. Bryce Young, uh, Ed Crash, Johnny Angel, Nick Saviano, uh, Scott Engie, Scott Williams, who will be on in a couple of weeks, Energy Coach Linda Leclerc, and, of course, others. Besides these coaches sharing their knowledge, you may also hear other college or high school tennis coaches USTA, PTR, USPTA heads, as well as leaders from racket sports organizations. Because I do believe Dr. King, when he said our lives begin to end, the day we become silent about things that matter, each week you will hear my biased views on North American tennis and life. I would like to thank the Yellow Ball CEO, J.P. Weber, for hosting the program and on our network. And, of course, the nice thing about Block Talk Radio is you can listen at any time you'd like to any of the programming on the Yellow Ball Network. Besides our Thursday's conversation, I also share a Thursday's commentary uh, we started doing that uh, over five years ago on the broadcast, and then people suggested that I put it on Facebook, so I did that, and I shared it again today. Uh, and you might still be, be able to read me in Florida Tennis Magazines. Who knows? And as I've told you many times, if you disagree or want to comment, please email me at coachdenise.fhstca at att.net. Who knows, you may read your views in Florida Tennis or hear them on future broadcasts of Coach Denise Exploring Tennis Blessings. Well, I see that uh, Dr. Fox is with us now, and uh, let me make sure he is on. I think we should have a very interesting conversation today. Uh, those of you reading his uh, analysis of the Grand Slams, which is special, um, might have thought, like me, that uh, there was a little momentum shift. So we decided to make that uh, part of uh, our discussion today. Alan, are you there? I'm here, John. Uh, always glad to be here. So thanks for inviting me again. 
Well, it's uh, special. Like I said uh, in uh, my uh, introduction on uh, Facebook, uh, your answers are probably in uh, tennis winning the mental ba- uh, match or surely in one of the other books, but uh, there's nothing like listening to you uh, in person. Uh, matter of fact, uh, I would, I think uh, tennis. Uh, uh, the channel should have you doing the uh, uh, analysis after matches. Uh, not that I don't enjoy reading them. It's part of the Grand Slams is to be able to read what, uh, how you describe the matches. But uh, uh, it's always special to listen to you. Well, uh, thanks, John. Yeah, I think we were going to discuss momentum today. Uh, yes. And I think... You know, most most of the listeners are familiar with the term and essentially what it means, and that is when you have things going your way, they tend to keep going your way uh, for various reasons. And then it, 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 when they are going your way, if you're playing a match, uh, you don't want to do things that will that will disrupt that and stop them from going your way, which I see happen all the time. And, and, and I'll give you a couple, just sort of a couple of examples of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Like you, you'll see a player get up 40 love on his serve, say, or her serve. Okay. And, and it, it, it sort of uh, amazes me how frequently they lose that first point. They're up 40 love, and they lose the first point. Uh, why do they lose the first point? Well, because they feel good being up 40 love. It feels like a, a nice fat lead, okay? And, and the, the, there is a, a, a slight tendency uh, to relax when it comes time to finish. When you go to finish a game or a set or a match, that's where the pressure grows. And so people like to sort of avoid the pressure if they can, you know, and they, uh, at 40 love, maybe just coast a little bit, play a loose point because they feel they, they can get away with it, you know, and they're looking for maybe some magic or, or finish the game without having to sweat out the pressure of the finish. So they relax a little bit, swing away, make a mistake or so, 40-15. You know, you watch a lot of these these pro matches where players come back from a 40-love deficit. Why? Because because the player that's up 40-love, it gives them the first point without too much trouble. And, and, and the whole thing is close. Now, now, if they win the next point, if they can just win one more point, suddenly it's quite a close game. It's a 40-30 game now, and, and, and that's, that's a tight point. So uh, the point I'm getting at is if you get up 40 love, the, the trick is to, is to bear down very, very hard and very solidly to win that first point. Uh, and, and on top of it, that's probably the easiest point for you to win if, if you bear down and, and, you know, approach it, you know, with high percentage play. Because, look, at your opponent is down 
you're up 40, love, they're down, you know, love 40 or whatever. They're, they're down. And so they're, they're a little bit, uh, you know, uh, negative. They don't think they're going to win the game. That's the time to get them. That's the time to, to finish the game off when you've got them weaker. You know, if they win a point or two and it gets to 40-30, uh, you know, suddenly they're not going to be so easy to finish off. They're going to be quite motivated now. You know, but at 40 love, they weren't quite as motivated. So that was the time to do it. Uh, and, and I see the same thing when, when players get up uh, maybe two service breaks. They get up 5-1, okay, and they're serving at 5-1, say. And I see them lose that game very, very commonly, okay. Now, the momentum has been in their favor. They've run up a 5-1 lead. They're serving for it, and, and, and they tend to lose their serve that first game, Uh I don't know what the percentages are, but just my, my sort of off-the-top take on it is it's quite frequent, okay? And it's for the same reason as they lose that 40-love point, and that is they're up 5-1, and, and they should be really solidly, you know, playing to finish the set. But, you know, they've got a two-service break lead, and 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 – they're liable just to, you know, get a little free and easy at 5-1. You know, not quite ready to face the pressure of finishing the set. And so they, you know, uh, hoping for an easy game. And, and the next thing, they've lost their serve. The other person holds. And now suddenly it's one service break, and there's a lot of pressure on. You know, they've allowed the momentum that was running in their favor uh, to – to turn around and get close. Now it's a struggle rather than, you know, when, when you get a player down, that's the time to push it. Like that 5-1 game, that's the best, that's the easiest game you're going to get uh, to hold serve because the other person is undoubtedly a bit discouraged and they undoubtedly think they're going to lose the set. Okay? And, and, and so if you play a really tough game there, that's the easiest game to hold. Now, if you lose that game and it's, you know, 5-2, they hold serve 5-3, now you've got one service break, and, and if you don't hold, they're even. And now they're going to be really tough. Now they've got plenty of motivation, and, and, and so now you've got to struggle for it. So I guess the point I'm getting at is if you get a lead – that's the time to keep pushing, to stretch it, keep pushing to finish, as opposed to uh, relax at the oars when you have a, a substantial lead and, and wait for them to give it to you or hope it will be an easy game and you don't have to, like, uh, sweat it out emotionally to finish. So that, that, that's the kind of thing that I look for in these matches. I'm just kind of interested as to as to how these people mentally handle the situations, because it, to me, when I watch the match, you know both both players, you know, hit the ball pretty well. They can both they're both quite dangerous. They make great shots and so forth. Uh, that's not terribly interesting to me. W- what's what's interesting is is what they do 
under pressure or how they push through with lees or whether they relax and let, uh, let their opponent back. I'll tell you who's really uh, very, uh, uh, what should I say, obvious when he does stuff like this, and that's Shapovalov. I mean, I watch Shapovalov play, and, and, you know, he'll kind of, he'll play on his serve. He's so, uh, he, he can win points so easily. He's got such an incredible game. You know, everything is beautiful. Everything, every shot of his is, is powerful and dangerous, and his serve is great, and his groundies are good, you know. And he'll, he'll go up, and, and he plays more loose points than anybody I've seen. And, <laughs> and, 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 and if you watch him, the other thing, you won't be able to watch him anymore in the French because he played a few too many loose points, and he's out. Uh, but you know, he's the kind of guy you, you want to play. You play a loose point or two on his serve. He's down love thirty, uh, or even love forty, uh, and, and now he, he he suddenly the first serve starts to go in. You know, suddenly he's making all the ground strokes. He, he toughens up when 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 he feels like he needs to, but but in 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 the mid in the mid game. Or in the meantime, when he doesn't feel it, he absolutely has to. You, you, you get a lot of, uh, like, quick errors and, and sort of easy points out of him. Uh, he, 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 he's an interesting character, you know. He, w- he was coached by Marty Lorando, uh when he first went on the tour, who was a uh, Canadian, and he was a Canadian Davis Cup player and he was captain of the Canadian Davis Cup team uh, and a great coach. And, and Marty really helped him, uh, you know, make a dent on the pro tour. Uh, Marty was his coach when he beat Nadal, uh, I think it was two years ago in the Rogers Cup. His first big win, he was just turning 19, I think, 18, 19. He beats Nadal, the number one player in the world. Uh, very exciting player to watch, actually. Uh, the most beautiful game to me, you know, other than Federer, it's the most beautiful game on the tour, the way he played. But if he's going to reach the next level, he's going to need to uh, sort of uh, get tougher on making the, the easy error and, and stop relying on his ability to, you know, toughen up when he needs to. And, and, and make the great shots. That's, that's not a way to do it. I mean, the way to do it is to get as big a lead as possible. Keep the pressure off yourself and keep squeezing the opponent down when you have the chance. And get on top of them and finish them while the, while the, get, while the, going's, uh, while the going's good. Anyway, that's just a few thoughts on momentum on He's such a figure. He's going to wind up uh, making the changes. I, I think when the, I love watching him too. When he first came up, though, I thought his backhand was inconsistent. But God, it isn't no more. That's correct. A year ago, the backhand was, you know, a real weakness. I thought, uh, mm-hmm. but it, it certainly isn't now. And and he's got the the one left-handed backhand. When you have a great forehand, 
there's one uh, play that you need to get good at, just technically. And if you have a great forehand, the important backhand is the backhand cross court. Okay. If you watch Shapo play, you know, he'll hit one of his best shots with now with that one-handed lefty backhand is his heavy topspin cross court, you know, hit very, very hard. And, and, and here's why that's such an important shot. And Nadal does it very well too, by the way, with his two-handed backhand. I mean, he hits a cross court, you know, very, very well. And, and the reason is because the, the opponent is trying in general to stay away from your forehand, your big forehand, which is, you know, your dangerous right. shot. And so they're liable to hit, like, if, if you hit your, if, if, let's say you're a lefty like Chapo is, uh, he'll, hit, he'll rope his forehand cross court. Uh, and, and the other guy doesn't want to get into a forehand to backhand uh, exchange with him, just hit it back to the forehand. It's not going to work out well, you know. He's going to hit it harder and harder and then hurt you. So there's a tendency for the opponent to go up the line with their backhand to try to get away from the forehand, okay? And if you now their court is open. If you can hit that backhand very sharp cross court and very hard, you know, they're, they're, if they get it, they're going to be on the dead run, you see. And this is sort of, would be sort of a general rule. And that is when your opponent hits down the line, and if they don't hit a good, really good one and get you in trouble, the thing to do is, without thinking about it, just hit it cross court as sharp as you can because the, their court is open for the moment. Okay? And, and, and l- l- let me explain why that is. And that is, uh, if you think about court position, okay, if if the ball uh, is if if the ball is in the center of your court and and your opponent's in the center of the court, your your best court position is right in the center, right opposite the ball, right opposite your opponent. Uh, if if your opponent hits the ball, say over to your forehand side, you know towards the sideline, and you run over and you hit a forehand, your your recovery position. Is, is still on the same side of the midline as you, as you are. In other words, you, you don't go all the way back to the center. If you hit your forehand cross court, you, you move uh, maybe a couple of feet uh, to the right of the center line. Okay? And the same thing w- with, with the backhand. If you hit your backhand cross court, uh, your recovery position is on the backhand side of the court, on the same side that you're on. You see, so you don't have to run very far to recover if you hit the ball cross court, okay? But if you hit the ball down the line, now your recovery position is on the, on the further side of the midline, on the other side of it. So uh, in order to get, cover your court and get in position, you've got to run across the midline and get a couple feet on the other side of it. That's a pretty good run, all right? And so whenever you hit the ball down the line, you're giving up position for a moment, all right? You're giving up position because your opponent can hit the ball cross court and you're going to have a long run. And so it leads to the idea that when you hit the ball down the line, 
there has to be a good purpose to it, especially if you're near the sideline when you hit it down the line. If you're sort of in the center, it doesn't really matter. But if you're out near uh, the doubles alley and you try to hit it down the line, that's a very dangerous uh, thing to do uh, position-wise because you can have a long run if, if your opponent hits it cross-court, which is, which is the smart thing for your opponent to do. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Anyway, Chapo is very good with that cross-court backhand. You see, the, his opponent's going to try to get away from his forehand. He's going to hit a, his opponent's going to hit a backhand down the line to get it to Chapo's backhand. And then Chapo is going to rope it top spin wide cross court. And, and the guy's not going to get it. Or if he gets it, you know, Chapo is going to be at the net. Right. Which, by the way, is, is another thing that he does well. Uh, and, and I think more players are going to do that. And that is Chapo uh, is looking to go to the net. He's looking to get the opponent in trouble and then sprint in and finish him off at the net. Uh, and, and that's another uh, area where he's improved quite a bit. I mean, he's always done that, but he, he, he's made a lot of mistakes with the volley. Uh, but the volley's gotten better. He makes less mistakes now. No. Sort of like his True. backhand. Everything's improving. Huh? Yeah. True. Yeah. yeah. Everything's improving. Uh, and Ali Seem, his, his uh, Canadian uh, compadre, does the same sort of thing. When he gets a chance, he goes in and quickly. You know, as soon as you get the opponent in trouble and, and, and the ball's going to float, if they have to let go with their two-handed side and chip it, uh, that's a very good time to sprint into the net you know, mm-hmm. and not let, the ball, not let them escape from trouble with a relatively uh, safe shot. You know, you... You win two ways by by cutting that ball off in the air. One way is you win a lot of points just doing that, and and the second thing is you force your opponent gradually to have to take a risk from a very bad position, lest you come in. He'll, he'll your your opponent will be uh, concerned that you're going to come in and pick it off in the air. So your opponent now has to hit a more risky shot, a harder one and a lower one and one that's more likely to miss. So it's the same reason that I would advise anybody that can volley at all reasonably well to serve and volley maybe once a game is to keep, uh, to keep the threat in the mind of your opponent that if your opponent just hits the ball back soft and high, he may lose the point immediately because of the volley. You know, and force your opponent to try to hit a, a tougher, more risky return off of a difficult serve, you see. I hate to see, it, like if, if I'm coaching somebody, I hate to see my, my player hit in a, a good, big serve and then have the opponent just sort of chip it back high, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and neutralize the point. You know, that, that's, to me, leaving money on the table. You don't want to do that. Yeah. Let's get back to momentum uh, uh, now because I, uh, you know, I mean, you've written about it. Chuck Reese's written about it. 
uh, and the great books and things. And, and at that pro level, I'm sure these people have little things to remind themselves if I'm losing their momentum and everything. But I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, selfishly coming from a coaching uh, prospect because I never played that uh, level uh, you did. But, you know, being a, a, an All-American collegiate player and uh, having a successful Grand Tour uh, pro event, and now going into coaching in college, you know, you went through these experiences. As a coach, what do you do when you see that shift in momentum? And uh, you don't always see it before the player feels it, I'm sure. Well, I'm not sure of anything, but I wouldn't uh, think, <laughs> at least I was never that smart. But you see it. You know, what are your options as a coach, and how do you address it? Well, you basically try to address it beforehand. I mean, right? Actually, you, you, yeah, you you want to discipline, have your players discipline themselves, uh, and and here's and here's why the, you know, some people say there isn't any such thing as momentum. Uh, I I think there is, uh, but. Uh, it doesn't last that long usually, but when you watch these matches, you know, oftentimes one player will, you know, win a few games, start getting having a hot streak, and then that'll go away, and then the other player will win some games. And and what's happening is uh, confidence is a large part of your performance. I mean, if you're confident, you just play better, do better things, and and. Confidence is augmented by by winning, by success. I mean, people that have done a lot of winning, they're just more confident. Now, it's somewhat circular in that uh, when you're confident, you win more. Uh, but but what happens is when it's starting to go your way and you're winning some games and you may be breaking serve, you're starting to feel good. You know, as, as the more games and points you win, the better you feel and the more likely you are to win the next point. So momentum, you know, comes from, you know, basically winning and having, getting yourself on a roll where things are going your way. And so then the trick is to keep it going as long as possible. Okay. Not do things that will disrupt it and allow your opponent, you know, back, uh, in, in, in competition with you. Uh, and so w- w- what you want to do is not start thinking about uh, finishing or the ending. You just try to keep your head, you know, in the point so that you're going point at a time, just focusing on what you're trying to do and feeling good and letting the good feelings carry you forward. Okay. I mean, what what tends to break the momentum is either uh, you you get ahead and then you relax, as I was talking about before, which is so common, you know. Uh, And and the relaxing basically involves too much uh, thought about, about outcome because when you're up, you start thinking about winning the set suddenly. Okay, and when you start w- thinking about winning the set, 
you're liable to change the momentum. Okay. Uh, so uh, it's important uh, to discipline yourself so that you uh, don't play. Uh, what should I say? You, you, you don't play with outcomes so much in mind. You know, you, you, you play where, where your head's in the point and you're just watching the ball and staying loose and, and letting your habits take over, which is what you want them to do. When you start thinking about whether you're going to win the set or not or how close it's getting, uh, well, then the next thing that happens is uh, you, start, you start losing that momentum. You start changing things, and the momentum goes away. So you just want to keep, when you're on a roll, you want to keep on a roll. Now, I, I, by the same token, if your opponent's on a roll, you want to stop him from being on a roll. If he's, if he's got the momentum or she's got the momentum, uh, you want to break that if you can. And, and, and one way to do it is to slow down. You know, I would think that, that and this doesn't mean that you uh, are unfair or you, you know, stall and tie your shoes a bunch of times. It just means when you get behind, the trick is to walk a little slower uh, and give your opponent more time to think about it. You know, if you're serving and you're down, you bounce the ball an extra time or two. Not an extra 20 times like Djokovic does. <laughs> Just once or twice. <laughs> I hate that. I can't stand watching that guy play uh, without having taped him. You know, I, I, I tape all Djokovic matches if I can, and then I fast forward through his 58 bounces because I can't stand it any more than his opponent can. You know, but anyway, you don't do that. You just bounce it one more time. Just give yourself a little more time, you know, to gather yourself together and give your opponent a little more time to have a break in concentration and, and potentially lose the, the good momentum he or she may be uh, experiencing. That makes sense? Maybe. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Let me ask you a question. In, in your playing time, because I, I, I see sometimes what I perceive is sometimes an opponent, a shot not looking your opponent, uh, maybe he has uh, the shots or she has all the shots, but all of a sudden this stroke is not working today. And I, I've asked myself and I've asked uh, what my players after. How come you didn't go to, uh, you know, the person's backhand more or whatever because it wasn't, how come you weren't attacking the serve? The serve, uh, you didn't have the snap on it as normal. And a player will say, I didn't, you know, I didn't pick that up. Is there, as a coach sitting on the sidelines, is it just easier to pick those things up than the player? Uh, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, the, the good players, the great players, they pick up all of that right away. They're, they're very good at that sort of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. The only reason the coach is liable to see it more uh, quickly than some of his or her players is because they're not great players. And the coach is probably, you know, more knowledgeable than they are. 
You know, if they were great players, you wouldn't have to tell them about such things. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I remember when I used to play a match, and I wasn't a great player. I didn't have uh, the tools uh, of the great players. I, I had I had the head. I mean, I was very adept at, at seeing my opponent's weaknesses, uh, but I couldn't blow them out. I, I literally had to see their weaknesses. I needed to work on them, like Gilbert did. You know, mm-hmm. he was a great one at seeing players' weaknesses and figuring out ways to, you know, poke and prod at them. But I remember playing matches against somebody that I might not have ever played before. And within a game or two, within a game or two, I knew pretty much where they were going to hit the ball and what their soft spots were, at least what what they were uh, up to that point. I mean, sometimes what, what appears to be a soft spot and what is a soft spot uh, for a while, may not be one, you know, a half hour later. And so it, you have to be, like, alert uh, and and not be too uh, uh, stuck into your own, uh, in, into your first idea of what their sauce, of what their weakness is. But, but you know, a good player, and, and I didn't know really how I knew it, but, like, I was serving and volleying back in the day, like everybody was. Uh, mm. And, and I, I could go in to the net on a player, and within a game or so, I could sort of get a feel for how they like to pass, you know, whether they like to go behind you or whether they, you know, what, what their patterns, what their thought patterns were. Uh, and so I, I think that's typical of all the good players. Uh, and, 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 and I just want to add that I don't claim I was a great player, you know, they have that and they have tools as well, which, you know, I unfortunately did not have. <laughs> uh, but but it, it's very obvious to to a player that's uh, alert as to what the what what the soft spots in the opponent's games are. And and and, and what you're trying to do, I mean, to me, the whole object of it was to try to find exchanges where I had an advantage, okay? That, that was the strategic, uh, you know, the essence of the strategy was to find, find an exchange where I had an advantage. Like if I was stuck on the baseline, my backhand was my better side. And so immediately what I tried to do was hit my backhand cross court and keep hitting it cross court and try to drive my opponent you know, wide or off the court and, and get them uh, to either hit down the line to my forehand when they shouldn't, you know, or just keep trading backhand crosscourts with them if I had the edge until they missed or until they hit something really short and I could come to the net on it. But, but you're looking for some area where you have an edge, okay, something you find out like maybe your volley is better than their backhand passing shot. Okay. As soon as you find that out, then you, you spend the rest of the time trying to attack at the net on their back net. Okay. Uh, and, and when you find a strategy that's working, where, where, where you have an exchange, where you have an advantage, then you just keep playing it. You, you keep playing it, and if they can't come up with a counter, you know, they lose. And so, you know, a lot of people, you know, they'll play uh, an exchange where they have an advantage 
and then they think they need to uh, they need to change it just because they think their opponent's going to get onto it, uh, and so they'll change it up and do something different, which they shouldn't. You know, they should s- stick with what's working, and, and it actually works better and better as as you get on it, and and they can't find a way to escape. If you find an exchange and you can keep keep doing it, and they can't figure out a way to escape, that's very discouraging for them. Okay, that that will tend to cause you know either panic or discouragement uh, because they can see that 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 they're they're uh, they're losing this exchange and there's nothing they can do about it. It's a it's a very handy thing anyway. Uh, I don't know if I, I forget what the question was. <laughs> was I answering a question? Yeah, another question. <laughs> uh, most momentum shifts, you think, are they more physical, more uh, uh, mental, or they, uh, or is a habit, you know, a person just changing what they're doing too soon? What do you think most momentum changes just, or do they just naturally the match? Mostly mental. I mean, uh, they'll occur because because the player with the momentum starts to think about, starts to think too much, you know, starts to think rather than to feel. You know, when you're playing a match, it's played, you know, more with a, emotional uh, control, and 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 your emotions sort of uh, help your game function. And when you start thinking too much, uh, your 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 habits break down. I mean, the game's played by habit, and so uh, if you start thinking a lot, your, your habits tend to break. You start worrying about the score, or finishing the set, or whatever, holding serve when you're up a break. Uh, too much thought uh, tends to break down the, the the habits, and you make mistakes. So. Momentum shifts, you know, as, as the set progresses and you have the momentum, as you start to near the finish, there is a, a nasty tendency to start to think about finishing the set and how you need to hold serve or the pressure or something. Uh, and, and so that will tend to break the momentum. Right. Well, Coach, too I, much, I think, much uh, Alan, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, too much thinking. It, it, it's funny. I read Bill Tilden's book uh, years ago when I was actually uh, in the juniors and trying to learn the game. I read Tilden's book, and Tilden was making fun of Perry T. Jones, who was the head of the Southern Cal Tennis Association. And, and Tilden was a great – actually, Tilden had the game figured out just like it is today. It was his – his figuring and the way he played it was a big serve. He had a call it a cannonball serve, big serve, and then control the point with the ground strokes, and either hit a winning ground stroke eventually or come to the net to finish. But he felt serving and volleying was a losing strategy. Uh, I'm not sure he was right, by the way, but at the moment he is. Uh, but but. Uh, he, he, Perry Jones had said, you know, the way to play is hit and don't think. 
and, and Tilden said, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. What do you mean hit and don't think? Well, I have to, I have to say, as great a player as Tilden was, I agree with Perry Jones. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't mean you don't think between points or right. game changes. It just means you don't think during points. You know, right. it's, it's, play, it's played by habit and reaction to, to the situation. You have to be relaxed and somewhat loose, somewhat excited, and then your habits take over. And, and then you assess between points or between games as to whether things are working. You know, it's, it's kind of an interesting one. Like when I was playing a match, you know, I would have an idea somewhere along the line of what my strategy was. It would generally be a net attack on the opponent's backhand side, uh, especially if they had a weakness on that side. And, and I would have that uh, sort of uh, programmed into my, into my brain somewhere. And then I wouldn't have to think about it uh, when I was playing. When it, when it got tight, my, my shots would just sort of work their way over to that weaker backhand. You know, I wouldn't even have to think about it. I had that programmed in there, and, and that's where the ball went, when, when in doubt. It went over to the weaker side. So I think, you know, in, you don't have to think about it while you're playing. You know, you, you program into your brain uh, your basic strategy, and then your, your reactions will, will carry it through. At some level, you remember it, even though you're not thinking about it. I yeah, I think it's true. It's, it's funny because I, I – I think uh, today, uh, I would say repetition is such an important part of the learning process, but it's a part of the playing. And I think if you look at sports right now and some of the play, and looking at some of the tennis, and I've heard people say, well, it's God, uh, you know, what's happened? They're not playing like they could, should and would. But, you know, when you're away from the competition for a while, I don't think you can expect that the same thing to happen because uh, maybe we do think, or uh, you know, it's not a natural, it's not habit because we've gotten away from the habit. Well, there's two, there's uh, habits and there's habits. I mean, uh, one sort of truism uh, about the game is that practice and tournaments are not at all the same thing. Okay, you you can't I, I you can't match in a practice match the pressures of tournament play. It's different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, you become you become uh, so uh, slightly immune to the pressures of tournament play when you play multiple tournaments. You know, you you get used to the pressure. If you haven't if you haven't played a tournament for a while, uh, and then you go out and play tournament, you're usually not going to play your best. I mean, my, my own personal rule was if I didn't play a tournament for more than a month, then uh, I was not tournament tough, and I had to watch it. You know, if I went into a tournament, I didn't expect to be playing my best. I, I, I would, you know, generally play more conservatively, uh, and, and, and try to get uh, sort of into the swing of competition. And then I could get a little trickier maybe. But, but uh, 
uh, it didn't take much more than a month for me to start feeling tournament nerves. Now, the, the great players are somewhat different, uh, and, and maybe that's one of the reasons I wasn't a great player. But, but I, somebody like Agassi, he could not play a tournament for months and months and months and then come out and play great, you know. So I don't understand that. That's a different mentality than most people. Uh, and, 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 and I'm uh, speaking uh, for most people, you know. Right. Uh, great players are another story, and, and they have their own rules. There aren't many of them. Uh, there aren't many great <laughs> players, <laughs> you know. But but they're different. They're different, and and so yeah, they think they're going to win at some level, n- no matter what. I think these great ones, and so they, they behave differently. They don't have to they don't have to worry like us ordinary people as much. So, well, Alan, I think we've covered momentum pretty good. We have about. 13 minutes left. What should we talk about now? Do you have anything you'd like to discuss? Well, uh, one thing that you just mentioned, and it won't fill 13 minutes, but uh, <laughs> you did mention repetition. And mm-hmm. and uh, that just brought to mind the idea to keep in mind uh, for, you know, aspiring players, and that is practice is, is for habit development. Okay. Right. What you're what you're trying to do in practice is develop habits, and and the ha- the strength of a habit is uh, a function of repetitions. The more repetitions, the stronger the habit. And so, that's something to keep in mind when you're practicing. You're trying to develop the best habit you can with a stroke. And so, in in practice, you do think when you're hitting balls. It is better to have an active mind, an active thought process in practice uh, because every shot you hit in practice, uh, you could do a little better. You could get in position a little quicker. You could watch the ball better. You could use a little more body rotation. Your arm, you know, it'll be something you could do better. And so you want to be uh, mentally alert and thinking when you practice as to you know, how to make the next shot better. Okay, a lot of people when they're practicing, they're just hitting tennis balls. They're not thinking, they're hitting. Okay, now you do get better when you do that, but not as much better as you would get if you're if you're thinking when you're practicing and trying to perfect the stroke. Okay, making little adjustments, you know, each each ball you hit. So that's the object of practice is is. Uh, repetitions and 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 uh, habit development, and and that's another th- thing about tennis. Why it's kind of a tough sport in a lot of ways, and 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 w- w- one of the reasons it's a tough sport is it takes a lot of discipline to go out and work out for two or three or four hours, you know, uh, doing repetitious things where you're making the right. adjustments on each ball you hit, but you're repeating it over and over and over. That's, that's not quite as much fun as, you know, playing basketball at the park, you know. That's, that's a lot more fun. Although the great basketball players do the same thing. I mean, they, they'll go out and over and over and over practice, you know, certain shots or certain moves. So 
but but in tennis, it's absolutely necessary, you know, because it's a somewhat of a repetitious game, you know. And I would say that the the most repetitious game that takes sort of the least uh, athletic adjustment would be something like bowling. Okay. Where the object would be to be, if you were a mechanical man and your arm always did exactly the same thing, you know, you'd be a a great bowler. But in tennis, uh, you know, the situation uh, differs a little bit for for each shot, there is a repetitious aspect, but there's sort of a differing one. Uh, I would say baseball uh, would be somewhat on the other end of the spectrum. You know, it's, it's very hard uh, to practice, you know, great catches and a lot of the stuff that happens in baseball. In tennis, you, you, if you go out and practice for a couple of hours, you can hit thousands of forehands and backhands. You know, over and over and over, the exact same stroke, which, you know, in something like baseball, it's not exactly like that. Okay. Right. There's more having to adjust to, to a novel situation. But tennis is kind of a mixture of a very repetitious sport like bowling, except that it's not exactly the same. And so there's, you know, a lot more to it. And time is a precious, like it is in life, it's a precious commodity. And time in uh, uh, tennis, not to beat a ten, uh, dead horse, but people say it's much, uh, but the game of tennis, to me, if you break it down, it's a game of time. And everything you do is because how much time you have, or if you're taking time away from your opponent, uh, and it's and that's what makes the difference between practice and the game. You, you, like you said, you could practice that stroke, you could develop proper technique, uh, but are you, is your opponent going to give you the time? Are you making the right uh, stroke selections that uh, are going to take you out of the position where you're not able to use your favorite shot? And, so I always like to break down the game as a game of time. Well, you know, uh, the difference between tournament play and practice, the biggest difference is playing under pressure is a lot different than playing without pressure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a huge difference. When you're, when you're right. dealing with nerves, uh, that, that's, another, that's another element that, that you don't get in practice very often. Uh, but by the way, the time thing, I, I was thinking as you were saying that, uh, there's another element of, of time that's involved in tennis matches that I'd just like to point out briefly, uh-huh. if, if I can do anything briefly, which I'm not, maybe not capable. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes you play, you play somebody and, and they start out and their forehand's better than yours and their backhand's better than yours. And you don't have any matchup you can find that's actually uh, effective. Okay, you try this, you try that, and nothing works. A lot of people get discouraged when that happens. You know, they think they're going to lose. But there's another right. factor in tennis to keep in mind, and that's the time factor. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, a player might be one player for half an hour, 45 minutes. 
But, you know, an hour and a half or two hours uh, into the match, that player may not be the same player anymore. Okay. Right. And, and, and so if, if, if things aren't working well at first, I mean, number one, you, you, you do try to make adjustments in any way that makes sense. But, but your adjustments must always be within your capabilities. In other words, you can only push your shot so far. And if you try to push them farther uh, and do more with it than, than you're capable, you just make mistakes. So you can only, your power range is only up to a point. And so, number one, you must never go above it. Okay, if, if, you're, if you're trying things that are really outside of your capabilities, you may be able to do it for a few games, but you're not going to win the match doing that. Okay, it'll break down. You, you have to be making shots that you can uh, repeat over and over pretty much. Okay. Right. Uh, and and I forgot what the point I was getting at. <laughs> Time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so... Uh, yeah, You're not going to play out of your mind forever. That's not you. Well, you just you just stay on him. You stay on him for a while, and he may not be the same player in an hour if you don't break down and start making a bunch of errors. In other words, you play at the peak of your capabilities of, of what's repeatable, and and don't go beyond it, and then just stay with it and keep body punching. Uh, and assume that time is going to work out in your favor. Eventually, your opponent is going to lose a little concentration, going to get a little tired physically, and, and may not be so tough with the forehand and backhand when he or she gets a little tired physically or mentally. Things may change, and the, the, the equation may not be uh, against you as much. So, yeah, you play for time is the, is the other it's sort of a, a strategy, you know, if, if nothing else, just assume that the opponent can't keep it up, you know, for two hours or three hours. Well, we've killed another broadcast, Alan. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, be with me. And at the end of this month, I'm going to shut down the 2020 season and, uh, uh, and I don't know truthfully if I'm going to uh, uh, come back in 21, but uh, Bobby and I will have some thinking and talking to do. But if I don't, what I will miss most is our discussions because uh, it's always a special time. Uh, and I do appreciate uh, over the years you sharing your time with us. Uh, is there but, any last comment? Or people have yeah, people I, I do have a last, I have a last comment. Uh, one of my last comments is the number one thing for next year, for 2021, is that you and I be alive in 2021. That would be our major you know, accomplishment and function. You know, beyond that, uh, if people want to read some of my stuff, my last book, Tennis Winning the Mental Match it is available on Kindle. Uh, if you want hard copies, you can get it at Tennis Warehouse or on my website, allenfoxtennis.com, uh, and you can get a hard copy. Uh, and, and also, it's available 
on iTunes electronically. So, John, thank you for inviting me. I, I appreciate it, John. Uh, well, thank you for your class, uh, guy. Uh, and, and you're, it's been a blessing to uh, talk with you, and I really do appreciate it. And uh, we'll touch base now and then. And don't forget, Florida is not a bad place if you're in the area. Bobby and I do have room for the two of you. Great. And, and, and Hopefully, you know what I understand about Florida? I, I'm just thinking Florida, different from California. We could actually, if we came to Florida, maybe go out to a restaurant. And eat, eat yeah. inside. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we I have a few nice like ones. We go, we've been just doing it lately, not too much. We found a nice place right over the water, and it's all opened up. So uh, there's enough seating inside and out. We're, uh, we go out occasionally there now. So we have enough of them open now. Well, uh, you're a lucky guy. We're not there yet, but. Uh, one well, of these, one of these days. I think after the election's over, John. I think after the yeah. election's over, they're going to find out that the virus. There's other ways to handle the virus. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Uh, no question about that. <laughs> well, listen, folks. Uh, next week, we our mentor is going to be uh, Alan Fox. Uh, I'm sorry, we just had about. It's going to be Ashley Hobson. Uh, he's coached in uh, 60 different uh, places. Well, if you're in Florida, Inspiration Academy is just a place that I just, every time I go there, I just love the uh, place. I love the people uh, there. Uh, they uh, actually, besides having the uh, tennis, they have a great baseball uh, program. But uh, he'll be sharing his uh coaching philosophy and coaching from the inside out. And, uh, you know, he's coached uh, Davis Cup, uh, and he's coached in 60 countries. So uh, it's always special having Ashley on, too. And uh, we'll get it from a little different uh, perspective. But um, coaching, building the championships is competitive, but it still should be uh, – uh, love too, you know. It's important to be able to still uh, uh, remember that the Almighty is uh, there to uh, support you as long as you don't forget the Almighty. And unfortunately, uh, that's what my commentary is about today in sports. Uh, I didn't want to go through with it because I enjoyed talking to Alan so much, but uh, it is on uh, Facebook. And I and I do think it's an important subject. I think sports is part of um, what America is, and freedom is a special uh, uh, commodity, and it's uh, what brought our country together. And the Constitution was there not to protect the government, but to protect us, and uh, uh, the two go hand in hand. So... Have a blessed week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Uh, we have a few more broadcasts in October. We'll end it with Chuck Reese, the last one. So this is a special month because I've been blessed to either have Alan Fox on or Chuck Reese every uh, month. And 
this month I gotta have them both on, so I just think of a better way to go out. Have a blessed week, everybody. Bye bye. Bye, John. Take care. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.